today on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. You know, some people think, wow, you know, I've been a Christian for 80 years and I've pulled my duty, you know, let somebody else go do it. It doesn't work that way. There's no, there's no spectator stands in Christianity. There just isn't. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, greetings and welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Pastor Steve Converse, a couple of weeks ago, began a new series, Five Marks of a True Believer. We're exploring each of these marks in detail, and we would invite you to join us here in Philippians 3 as we continue to do just that. Here in the first three verses, we get a clear view of what a true believer is all about. The Apostle Paul does not mince words, makes no bones about it lays it all out for us in clear fashion. Join us as we understand what our calling in Christ is. Here now is Pastor Steve Converse once again with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Now we're looking at the, the marks of a, a true believer, a true Christian. Sometimes you say, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? A true believer, a true Christian. So there's, a, there's a lot of people in America today that think that they're a Christian. The average person on the street would probably say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but we need to kind of put down some marks in the sand as what, what really is a Christian? And we've been going over this for the last uh, couple weeks. One of the first things we saw there in, in verse 1 was he says, uh, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And that was one of the first things that we talked about is that a Christian is someone who does rejoice in the Lord. And that's not happiness. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a joy, a deep-seated joy that only God can place in our hearts. And that joy is there even when we have a week because we know the Lord. We know that God's going to get us through that. And sometimes God brings along those tough times, those hard times to grow us in our relationship with him. And so if you're just depending on what's happening around you, you may be sad, you may be uh, you know, miserable, you may be depressed. But if you have that, Lord, that, that joy that only the Lord can give you deep down in your heart, I guarantee you it will see you through anything, the hardest thing in life. That kind of joy gets us through times like that. And that's one of the, the first marks here that he, he lays down. Do you have that deep-seated joy in your heart? And then he goes on and he says, you know, it's not a, a pain for me to write these things to you again. It's not tedious, but for you it's safe. And then he begins to describe some people who basically held on to circumcision, the out, outward mark of circumcision, as kind of their holiness. That's their mark of holiness. It'd be like if I got up here and put a tassel around my neck and dressed in a robe and said, see, look at me, you know, and talked a little different when I was up here and all that. Well, you know... Somebody who wouldn't be aware would say, oh, that person must be a special person. That person, look at the robe they have on, look at the, you know, the hat they're wearing, all this kind of stuff. Well, you know what? Those people that wear that kind of garb, they're, they're no different than you and I. No different at all. They have a heart that's filled with sin and needs forgiveness by Jesus Christ, as we all do. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so here in, in Philippians, he says, first of all, you have this joy in your heart, but also you have to have some... Uh, discernment. Believers have discernment given by the Holy Spirit. It's not their own. And so when he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, uh, he was talking with the, the Pharisees of the day that stood out amongst the people and, and claimed to be righteous. Why? Because they were circumcised. And we went into that in depth. And if you want to know more about that, you can get the tape on that. 
But he calls them dogs. And for a Jew to call a Jew a dog, you know they're pretty bad. And these weren't nice little puppies. These were bad dogs that ran the streets and sometimes even killed people. He says, beware of evil workers. It wasn't that these people weren't doing work. See, some of the most deceived people in the world, I believe, are the people that are doing all the good. They're out there feeding the homeless and helping, you know, Katrina victims and all sorts of things. They have all this big line list of, of good works that they're doing, but they're doing it with the wrong motivation. And God doesn't recognize that. And just like these folks here, their work is evil. Even though they're doing good, it's still considered evil before God. The Bible says that all of our works, works are like filthy rags before a holy God when we're doing them with the motivation to earn his favor. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that we don't have a God that sits up on a throne somewhere and says, okay, you know, maybe I'll like you today. You know, uh, oh, you're having a bad week? Well, you know, I don't like you this week. You know, oh, you, you messed up, you fell short, you sinned. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be around for you now. I thank God that we, we serve a God who is there 24-7. He never, ever turns his back on us. He never, ever forgets the grace that placed us into his family by Jesus Christ. No matter what, what goes on in our life, he's there. It says that even though we deny him, he won't deny us because of the work of Christ. And these evil workers, it wasn't they were doing evil things, they were doing good things. They had all the religious experience, they had all that, but you know what? They, they were doing it for the wrong motivation. And don't ever do ministry to be seen by men. If you do, you'll be disappointed every time. Because the first time you do it, you might get a pat on the back. You know, oh, good job, well, great, great to, you know. But the minute that stops, does your heart change? You say in your heart, well, you know, they don't even recognize that I'm doing this. Nobody appreciates me. And you sit there and stare at your navel and have a big pity party. We've all been there. We've all been at that point in our life where we, we begin to realize, is this really worth it? Does anybody really care? And, and you, you know, you, you go down that road and it just, it's, it's a very selfish road, self-centered road. But when you stop and you say, you know what, I'm doing this for the Lord. Whether whoever, whoever's out there looking, it doesn't matter. I mean, God, if it blesses somebody, that's great. But you know what? My heart before the Lord is to do what he wants me to do, not what somebody else is pressuring me to do or wants me to do. And so you have to stop and say, you know, if you're involved in ministry, what's your motivation? Are you doing it like these people? Are you doing good work in a bad way, which ends up being an evil work before God? Because you're doing it just to be seen by men, or you think that somehow you're earning favor with God by doing those things? God doesn't need it. You know, God needs our service like he needs our money. He doesn't need any of it. He can carry on just fine. And it's an opportunity for us to serve when he includes us in that process. And that's what we should look at it as. Not a burden. Not something that a big weight we're carrying around our, our neck. I remember when I, I, I first went into... Uh, ministry. I just kind of kind of fell into youth ministry because I could just start. I don't know. And uh, they threw me in a room with a bunch of high schoolers and said, here's a Sunday school book. Have fun. And uh, I thought, gosh, what is this about, you know? Because I didn't really study youth ministry in college. I just studied biblical studies, pastoral ministry. It was kind of a general major. And, uh, and I remember after a while thinking, you know, these kids don't even care whether I teach or not. They don't, they don't care. Here I am preparing a lesson. Nobody cares. I remember planning things for our little youth group at Fairhaven's Baptist Church in Spring Valley, California. And, you know, planned for 15 kids. One kid would show up. 
Just one kid. And it's like, oh, you know, you got all the, you got the table and you got the snacks and you got the movie night, whatever you were doing. One kid shows up. You know, right there, if you, if you were going to do it just to be seen by men, you'd say, you know what? Let's, pack, let's go home. This is stupid. It's a waste of our time. But you know what? You don't do that because you're not doing it for the kids. You're doing it for the Lord. And so I'll tell you what, they really appreciate when, you know what, we said we were going to do something and, you know, one or two kids came. We did it anyway. We just adapt and we had a good time. And you know what? God really blessed that as a result. And so, you know, we don't always want to be fixated on, on what the world thinks or what other people think or whatever. We want to be fixated on what the Lord wants us to do. And not even corporately, but as individuals. Because as we're fulfilling God's will for ministry and for our lives and purpose for our lives as individuals, we know what? God draws all that together and he makes the church a stronger place. And it's not discriminatory to age. You know, some people think, wow, you know, I've been a Christian for 80 years and I've pulled my duty, you know, let somebody else go do it. It doesn't work that way. There's no, there's no spectator stands in Christianity. There just isn't. There's a lot of things that even our, our older ladies and older folks in our church do on a consistent basis. We have one of them down here and, you know, fixes things and, and you know, a couple of them actually that, that work around here. Nobody ever sees them. Nobody ever, you know, recognizes or even what they do. But the, God does. And, and that's the, 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 the reasoning here of Paul. And he's saying, you know, if you're just doing these, these things just to be seen, well, then it's an evil work. And then he calls them the mutilation which is a really big insult to these folks because they were kind of holding up their, their circumcision as this trophy. Look at us. We're God's people. We're the ones that are circumcised. And what was happening is people were coming to Christ. Paul would go into a town. He would preach the gospel. People would come to Christ. Jews would come to Christ. Even Gentiles would come to Christ. And then these folks would follow Paul and say, well, I know that you're trusting in the grace of Christ, but you know what? There's another couple things you have to do. First of all, you have to be circumcised. Are you circumcised? No. Well, then you're really not a Christian. You can't really be part of the church. You have to be circumcised first. And then the second thing is you have to follow, follow all the holy laws of Moses. And that's what they would throw at these brand new Christians. And so they were getting confused. They were thinking, well, what is this, the grace of God or the work of man? And that's why Paul has such an attitude here with them because they were really disrupting the work that the Lord was doing through him. And you can see where the confusion would be is, well, who's the real believer here? This guy with the robe on and, boy, he's got all his little, you know, things in order? Or, or this guy over here just says, you know, I'm a sinner and I need the grace of God. He may not have all the, the religious garb on, but really who is worthy before God? Well, it's not, the Bible says it's not just the outward circumcision of the body. It's the inward circumcision of the what? The heart. See, it's just a sign. Circumcision was just a sign of an inward change that needed to happen. And the Jews didn't understand that. And so they grabbed a hold of it and they lifted it up. And, and sometimes, you know, we have churches today that, that do the, the same thing. You know, uh, some churches, membership is a huge thing. You know, you've got to be a member or you've got to do this or you've got to be baptized or, you, you know, you, you can go on and on. You've got to go through these rituals or those rituals, and then you'll earn the favor of God. Well, trust me, it doesn't work that way, and Scripture clearly points that out. But as a common thread as we go through this, and, and we're just going to look at, at this from kind of a, a different angle today. Because I think that before we, we get into what we are, when he says there in verse 3, he kind of tells, tells us what those people are, and you don't want to be like them. And then he says, basically, practice some discernment there. In other words, beware of these people. 
Don't just embrace these people. And today I think the church as a whole has kind of opened the, the doors of the church wide open to the point where they're, they're, they're encouraging people to come in um, and be part of the, the believing church that are not believers. There was a, a church down in Palm Desert, California, just a uh, guy used to be a youth pastor. I knew him and he went to this church and made some changes and just, I mean, the church just took off. I mean, it was like a mega church. It, for the most time, in the wintertime, they would have all these snowbirds come down and their church, you know, it was pushing 12,000 people from like 300 in a matter of, what, five, six years? They bought this huge property and everything just exploded. And it, it was just a, a, an interesting thing to sit back and watch this thing because all of a sudden, things began to change. Scripture was up on the screen. So you looked around, you went there with a the Bible, you were a really odd duck, you know, because nobody had their Bibles. The pastor put everything up on the screen. You know, turn to John 3.16, boom, there it is. Well, what would you do? Would you go, oh, let's see, John 3, or look up and see it. Most people would just say, oh, what do I need my Bible for? So they stopped bringing their Bibles. You know, I thank God that we have a church where you can say, turn in your Bible, and you hear pages turning. You don't hear that too much anymore. And then, basically, what happened is, because they wanted their, their, their musicians to reach a certain caliber that they couldn't, they started including people that weren't even believers, but they were gifted musicians, talented people. I mean, some of them played in the orchestra there in Palm Desert. Others had bands in L.A., and they'd come to this church and just kind of pop in on Sunday, play the gig, and leave. I mean, you go there, the music just blew you away. Every note, perfect. Every vocal is perfect. You know, look perfect. Everything was perfect. But underneath all that, there was a rotting decay of sin church. I mean, I've even heard people on occasion say, well, you know, they know that Jesus is a good teacher and stuff, and so, you know, they want to be a follower of Jesus, but they don't think he's God. But they still think they're going to heaven. I was at a seminar yesterday here in this building uh, for another church, and I was listening to a tape that this individual taped at a, uh, it was an interview at the Christian Booksellers Association. And they went around with a microphone, and they just asked all the people selling stuff. Now, this is a Christian Booksellers Association meeting, big one, like in Las Vegas or wherever they had it. I don't know if they had it in Las Vegas, but wherever. One of those big deals, probably. It wouldn't surprise me. So they had all these people there marketing things, and they went around with a microphone, and they said, what is the gospel? Can you give me a definition of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I mean, this interview, was, this soundbite he played was probably like two and a half minutes long. And you heard everything on the sun. Well, you know, the gospel is, is you know, it's that feeling of, of, of need in your soul, and, and God meets that need. The gospel is just loving your fellow man. And then it went on and on. I mean, sickening, you know, to the point where the gospel is just within yourself. You have to look within yourself. And this is at a Christian function. And we have to stop and we have to say, wait a minute, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who is a believer in Jesus Christ? And who might be deceived? There's nothing wrong with that. It starts all the way back with John the Baptist, if you think about it. He confronts the religious leaders of Jerusalem who've come down from the, the temple mount, and they say, you know, we kind of want to see what John was doing there. And those who claim to know God and be the people of God and, and the favorites of God, and he says to them basically, let me see some fruit in your life. That's what he said to them. He looked at the religious garb on. They're questioning him. He said, Where, where's the fruit? You know, kind of like the, the, the old commercial, you know, where, what was that? where's the beef? I mean, really? Where is it? If, if you're a Christian, there should be some fruit in your life. There should be something there. There should be some evidence of life. 
If you want to know whether your motives are right and whether you have genuine repentance in your heart, stop and look at your life and say, is there fruit there? Is God doing a work in my life? And John did that, and he called into question the fact that someone who believes they are right with God might not be. Just because you believe you're right with God, that doesn't mean it's so. If you're believing the wrong thing, then you may not be a believer. And that's the question that Paul is posing at us here, but it's also the question that even Jesus posed. And we've read this verse before out of Matthew 7. There's going to come a day when many people come to me before me. The Lord says, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name? Haven't we done wonderful works in your name? Haven't we even cast out demons in your name, Lord? I mean, those are some strong things. I don't know if any of you have ever cast out a demon. I've never even seen a demon-possessed person. I really don't want to. But, you know, uh, that's a pretty incredible thing. And these guys said they did that. And they did it in Christ's name. And what did he say? He says, you know what? I'm going to turn to them and I'm going to say, you know what? Depart from me, you workers of, what? Iniquity. Same thing. They fall in the same camp as these evil workers in Philippians. He says, I never knew you. And the idea is, I never, ever, ever knew you. Which is a good verse to use for eternal security, if you, if you think about it. Here were guys that were doing works that were incredible things. And Christ said, I never knew you. They did them all in the flesh. God somehow had to reveal himself to them, and, and they didn't get it. Then you come to the 13th chapter of, of, of uh, Matthew, and you see these parables. And in the parables, as you read through that, take some time to read through it sometime, there are people who appear to have a legitimate response to the gospel. It seems like, wow, they, they responded, this is good. But then what happens to them? They wither and they die. And Jesus is trying to get across the point that, you know what, there are some people who have a legitimate response to the gospel. But you know what, they love the world, they love the things of the world too much to yield their life wholly to Christ. And what happens? Eventually they fall away. It's not a matter of losing your salvation, it's a matter of never having it. You have a clear description even where God sows wheat and the enemy comes and sows tares. Where God plants the true and the enemy, what's he do? He rushes right in and puts the false in there. When you come to the book of Acts, you aren't very far into the book of Acts where you meet an individual man who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Then you see later that basically he wasn't a true believer in Christ. He was really a deceiver. And then you stop and you think even of Judas. I mean, even the, own, the apostles of the Lord didn't understand that he was a deceiver among them. And you see this thread throughout the New Testament, not only defining what the gospel is. That's the first thing you see. What's the gospel of Christ? But then right alongside of that thread, the very uh, point that's made over and over again, who believes the gospel? Who has trusted in the gospel? You find even in, in Galatians and Romans, all over the place, there's constant, you know, examine yourself over and over again to make sure that your faith is legitimate. If you're in that camp, if you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, I, you're casting some doubt in my mind. Take some time and read through the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John is an excellent book to read through. It's short, right to the point. And his whole point is, you know what, he wants to understand who the true Christians are. It's all the way in the back of your Bible. And he says in, in chapter 1, first of all, if you want to know you're a true Christian, then don't deny your own sin. In other words, you can't come to God and say, oh, I'm, I'm a good person. That's not going to work. Because the Bible says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
So the first thing a Christian does is they acknowledge their sin. When's the last time you had to admit you were wrong? Or you did something wrong and you had to admit it? Not fun, is it? It's not fun to do that. Whether it's in your marriage or at work or even cutting somebody off on the freeway, you know, it's, it's not fun to have to admit that, you know what, you just did something that's pretty stupid and you need to ask forgiveness. The first thing we want to do is dig our heels in and say, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, we, we get that pride going. And see, that's the breaking point. The minute we're able to admit that sin or admit that fault, that's when God can use us because there's humility there. And that's what chapter 1 in, in 1 John is all about. Don't deny your sin. If you're a true Christian, you're not going to deny your sin. You're going to acknowledge it. You're going to confess it to God. Secondly, in chapter 2, he even goes on and he says, true Christians walk the way Jesus walked. They follow his model. It's kind of novel, isn't it? If you're going to call yourself a Christian, then you should walk like Christ. You love your brothers. You obey the, the word. You hate the world. I remember we were meeting with an individual some years ago, and I think he was, a, he was deceived. I, I, don't, I don't believe he was a believer. He always shared you know, all the stuff that God was doing in his life, but when it came right down to it, there was nothing there. I remember asking him one day, why do you do this? Why do you fall back into this over and over again? And he looked right at me and he said, you know, I just love the world. I just love it. And he was serious. I thought, how sad. Here's a person that has all the religious garb on, but you know what? They're, they're no more a believer than the man in the moon. Because they don't walk the way Jesus. They don't love the brethren. They don't obey the word. They don't hate the word. They love the world. In chapter 3 of 1 John, he even goes on. He says, true Christians do not continue over and over to practice sin. Well, what's that mean? Does that mean you're perfect? No, none of us are. We all sin in a myriad of ways every day. It's talking about a, a lifestyle. It's talking about a, a life of sin. Something that you're looking in your life and you're going, yeah, you know what? This is wrong, but I don't care. And I'm going to continue to do it. A Christian doesn't do that. Just don't. One of two things that happen. Either you're not a Christian or God will find you out. Your sin will find you out, the Bible says. You can't hide that. Chapter 4, 1 John, he says, True Christians are characterized by their love for God and their love for one another. You know, our love for one another sometimes is interesting. You know, it's almost like a task. It's like, oh, we got to get together and fellowship again. Shouldn't be that way. Shouldn't be that way at all. So true Christians are characterized by their love for God and also their love for one another. And also in chapter 5, he gives kind of a, an overview of the whole book. And in verse 13, he says this, These things I have written to you, 1 John 5, 13, that you who believe in the name of the Son of God, in order that you may know that you have eternal life. See, our salvation is not left up into a quandary. We, we shouldn't go to bed at night wondering, well, you know, if I died tonight... Would I, would I be in heaven? Don't leave that up to question. You should know that, you know what, I'd be in the presence of God immediately. And when you don't have that confidence, when you don't have that assurance, you want to stop and look at your walk. You want to look at your faith. You want to look at, examine it. That's what the Bible calls us to do. We should know that we know that we know. Don't leave it up to question. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. 
and we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. (music) 